Would you uh, turn with me to 2 Corinthians in the New Testament? If you have the Bible that's in the pew or the chair, you can turn to page 968. Getting back to our study on 2 Corinthians after a happy break here in Richie Sessions last Sunday. Ryan preached two weeks ago on chapter 8, which begins this new section on the gift that he is gathering for the poor people in Jerusalem. And so he continues on that subject in chapter 9. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints... For I know your readiness, of which I boast about to, to, uh, you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia, uh, Corinth is in Achaia, Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove vain in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated, to say nothing of you, for being so confident. So, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you've promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times... You may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That's the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts afresh today that we might see in deeper ways the grace of God that has been given to us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, that we might walk in the happy liberty and liberality of the gospel. Lord, that we will embrace your liberality toward us, that we will joyfully say with Paul, 
Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, because of our amazement, our astonishment that grows more and more, we will be happy to give our lives away to others, even as you've given yourself to us. Lord, bless us with this joy of giving for Jesus' sake. Amen. I have peanuts, a golden celebration. I've been doing my devotions in this recently. No, no, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> One of the aspects of his uh, comic that Charles Schultz, uh, Schultz talks about is the baseball games. And regularly you have Charlie Brown on the mound and viewing this from this, uh, this way, he's on the mound. You know who's out in the right field? Lucy is out in the right field. Lucy never catches a ball, right? And the favorite thing is Lucy, like this, glove and hand, and the ball finding behind her, falling behind her. It's just a regular thing that happens. So he does a lot with this, and it's all about Charlie Brown experiencing the woes of loss because they never win only once or twice that they win in all these 50 plus years uh, and he says i explore my own sense of frustration when i'm on the golf course or i'm bowling or whatever and he said we've all uh, lost like this and so he enjoys uh, talking about it a lot in his uh, strip so one of the things that uh as he's Dealing with her out in right field, <clears throat> she says, uh, "Hey, batter, batter! Hey, batter, batter! Come on, Charlie Brown, strike him out!" And then she walks up, walks up to the mound, and says, "I know you like lots of chatter out there, manager, but I can't think of anything to chatter." Charlie Brown, well, how about saying, "Throw it by him, pitcher," or how about, "He can't see what he can't see. He can't hit what he can't see." Another good one is, "Show him the high, hard one." Could you write some of those down? I'll never be able to remember them otherwise. So he's writing them down, writing them down. She says, thank you. This will be a big help. So she's sitting there reading them like this. Okay, pitcher, throw it past him. He can't hit what he can't see. Pitch hard, Charlie Brown. Ball falls behind her. And she's just, stay with him, kid. You can do it, Charlie Brown. Good boy. So that's just a typical frustrating time for Charlie Brown because... Uh, she is trying so hard and not catching a ball at all. Uh, another one, uh, Charlie Brown's looking out to Lucy and he says, that's a beautiful new glove, Lucy. Thank you. How long do you think a glove like this will last? Ball falls behind her. <laughs> About a hundred years. <laughs> well, all of this is to set up one more because this kind of introduces what I want to say. She's bringing the ball back to Charlie Brown. She says, sorry, I missed that ball manager. The dandelions got in my eyes. When the sun reflects off the bright yellow dandelions, I can't see the ball. She's doing like this. I can't see the ball. Charlie Brown, as she's walking back, that's the worst excuse I've ever heard. And then she shouts back, be patient. I have 23 new ones. Right. Excuses. Well, why that? I think not only 23, but probably hundreds of excuses that we have for not giving, right? Hundreds of excuses 
for not giving our time, not giving our money, not giving ourselves away when there are needs all around us. And in this passage, Paul deals with the the very root of how we give and why we give. And we're going to explore that a bit this morning. And you see the title, basically that divides up the uh, sermon itself into how we sow and then what we reap. So he deals with how we sow, how we must sow ourselves or give ourselves away, and then uh, what we reap when we do that. Two things in how we sow. First, we do it carefully, and then we do it cheerfully. Okay? We do it carefully, and we do it cheerfully. Now, this is a little rhetorical device that Paul is using when he starts. It's superfluous for me to write about you, uh, write to you about this ministry, and then he goes on to write them about the ministry. All right, uh, but that's a way to even underscore what you're about to say, and it was a, a device that they used quite often in the literature of the day. And basically, he's telling them, "I know that you were." eager, you you expressed your eagerness to participate in this gift that we're bringing to Jerusalem. And because I told the Macedonians, Paul right at this point is with the Macedonians, that's up where Philippi and Thessalonica is. He says, uh, I told them about it. They themselves responded with zeal and they prepared a gift. All the more reason when I come and I'm perhaps bringing some of the Macedonians, I don't want it to appear or or be the fact that you just expressed a desire, but you didn't follow through with the desire. I mean, here's the very people that got motivated even more because they heard of your desire and then they show up and you haven't really done anything. And you're scrambling around trying to pull something together. And at that point, he uses this word uh, that you may be will, uh, ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Actually, the word is not of covetousness or avarice. In other words, you're scrambling around, pulling stuff together, and you're giving it, and you're giving it reluctantly because you think, gosh, they've showed up. We've got to give something. You know, what are we going to do when they showed up and we didn't have it together? But you're going to be really reluctant, and you're going to wish you had it back. You're going to give with covetousness in your heart instead of generosity. In fact, this word uh, willing gift is the word for blessing. Uh, It is translated a bountiful gift not affected by covetousness. That's what Paul wants. Now, it's interesting when you go back to 1 Corinthians 16, the the first letter that we have from Paul... He says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Here's the careful part. Isn't it interesting that he's talking about not being covetous and being having a generous heart, a, a heart to bless, a heart that sees it as a happy, joyful thing. And this is accomplished by the discipline of putting it aside week after week after week. So, he sees cheerful giving issuing in careful giving. That is, if you have a generous, cheerful heart to give, 
you will take pains to examine your budget, to figure out how you can adjust things, how you can adjust your spending, how you can even change your lifestyle in whatever way you need to in order to be careful to give. He didn't want it to be this haphazard last minute thing. He wanted them months and months ago, orderly way, every week, put some aside, put some aside. It reminds me, uh, I've read stories of in uh, India, for instance, among many places where they're so careful to to give a 10% of their, uh, what they have. All they have is food. All they have is rice. They give 10% of their rice. 10% always of the very food they have to eat. And it is the case that the richer people are in churches, the less proportion they give. And the poorer they are, the more proportion uh, they give of their, uh, what they have. And so this is the, the very first point then is to be careful, ordered, uh, determined in your giving. As he says uh, later, uh, each one is to make up his own mind. It's a private decision in his own heart. Make your decision and decide and, and then follow through with that in a careful way. And notice in verse 7, it's each one of you. Same thing back in 1 Corinthians 6. Each one of you put aside. So it's not for those who have the most or the least. It's everybody. Each one of you, whatever your condition, whatever your ability, each one of you be careful that you give. Secondly, though, it's cheerful. It's interesting that... He talks about sowing sparingly and bountifully and then speaks in verse 7 of not sowing reluctantly or under compulsion, but cheerfully. And so actually to sow sparingly is to sow with resentment or to sow under compulsion. To sow bountifully is to sow cheerfully. If you are cheerful in your giving, it will be bountiful. Cheerful takes care of generous. generous. Just illustrate that. <clears throat> I haven't, there are many series that I've done like The Office, um, but I heard many friends talk about watching 24, and I'm sure several of you have. And they'll maybe start after it's been going for several years, and you do what? We all do. You binge watch, right? And so you're watching several several episodes a night, and you're pushing yourself to stay up later to watch more of it, and you watch it again and again and again. Why? You're cheerful. You're cheerfully watching. You love it. And so you're bountiful in your involvement in it. See? Cheerful, excited, Energetic brings about participation. It could be the office or house of cards, whatever. But cheerful takes care of bountiful. Guys, uh, I counted just uh, this week 16 bowl games in the four days around New Year's. You know, 
You're like me, right? I'll only watch one of the 16. No. If, if somebody would let me, I would watch all 16 of them. You know, I don't mean my, somebody I live with. I mean just somebody out there. <laughs> Although that does. <laughs> Why would I do that? Why would I watch 16 games if I could? Because I love college football. And so I'm cheerful in it. And so I'm bountiful in my participation. See? <clears throat> if uh, we, I, I just read in Motor Trend, uh, waiting for my car to be in, uh, get an inspection sticker this year, that the Volvo XC90 was Motor Trend's SUV of the year. Okay? It beat out Honda Pilot, Lincoln MKX, the Nissan Murano, and the Mercedes GLE class. Now, how happy would you be to buy a new Volvo XC90? It has a price tag of $65,000. you are going to get to buy it for $5,000, no interest, and you have seven years to pay for it. Six years. I think that's what I figured. That's just $70 a month, no interest. How happy would you be to hand that check over every month, $70, and I'm driving the Motor Trend car of the year. Be, be so happy. Not like you feel when you thought you were going to get 4000 back from your taxes, and you figured it, and you're having to give $8,000. Just, just the writing of that check, you know. How different that is. We see... Paul is talking about this cheerfulness, this happiness in giving yourself away because the bountiful takes care of itself. In Deuteronomy 15, it's very interesting. Speaking of a poor person, God says, You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him. Sad, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Well, you know the answer. He is a cheerful giver, right? That's his character. He has great happiness in pouring himself forth. His great unlimited happiness poured forth creation itself. The happiness that he has had within himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit spilled out in the very creation. It says God loves mercy. He says in in, in, uh, Jeremiah 32, I will rejoice in doing you good. I will be so exultant in doing you good. Or you've read before, he will rejoice over you with singing. This is God rejoicing, striking up the band, a dance in heaven, the joy of doing us good and saving us sinners. He's a cheerful, happy, infinitely happy God in giving himself away. Jesus himself, speaking of love says, if you love like I do, John 15, you've heard me say this many times, then my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. 
See, for, for God, those two things are hand in hand. Joy and giving. Joy and giving. And so, cheerful giving agrees with his nature. It's a picture of his own heart. It's a picture of his own giving. He sees the beauty in it. He sees something truly good in it. What a human being is supposed to be. What we were meant to be. How we should regard a fellow human being. How we should regard giving ourselves away to a fellow human being. Free of jealousy and envy and fear and greed and pride and insecurity. Happiness in helping. Joy in coming to another's aid. And if you're like me, you think, oh no. Talk about mourning. Talk about Lamenting, how far from that am I? Where does the cheerful come from, right? Where does it come from? In this passage, Paul says in verse 13, they will glorify God because of your submission Flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Right? This aroma of Christ, this precious, beautiful Savior, it it comes from our seeing uh, this trust-filled acknowledgement of God's great action in Christ Jesus this confession in, involves our dependence upon him, our, our, our joy in him, our gratitude for him, our amazement at how glorious he is. It's expressed in verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And without fail, commentators say this is referring to Christ himself. This outburst. Thanks be to God. Oh, gratitude for a gift that can't even be put into words. The gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that heart taken up, astonished at Christ, that begins to cheerfully spend itself for others, including the money that he or she gives. And so it's rooted in the gospel itself. The the very title of our series is The Cross Shapes Our Crisis. And so the cross shapes the crisis of how you and I will deal with our money. How are we shaped by that cross? If we are shaped by that cross, if more and more we're delving into the beauty and glory of Christ and his giving himself for us, we more and more will become cheerful, buoyant Eager, amazed, and grateful in our giving. It's part of our worship. It's just a a vital part of our worship. And so, if we're not cheerful in our giving, we we have to begin asking ourselves, how am I resisting the precious beauty of Christ? There, There must be some... I'm not believing something. I'm not seeing something. I'm not experiencing something. Maybe I don't know anything. And for those of you who are maybe visiting and you're looking into the uh, things of, of Christ 
You may, if you're here for the first time, that yep, you come and listen to that. They're talking about giving, you know, <laughs> talking about money. Well, if you if you knew us, you'd know that we don't talk about this that often. But it is in the text, so we're, we're talking about it. Um, but you see it not as something to try to extract more money from you. Like the guy we heard one time uh, at a rally. We had taken some uh, prisoners to uh, a rally. This was when I was working as a uh, during seminary, and I took a year out to work in a church. And so we'd taken these prisoners to hear this particular person. We just had to help. We didn't have any choice as to what we were doing. And uh, it came time for the offering, and he says... Okay, I want everybody, this is not a gimmick. This is not a gimmick. I want everybody to get out your change. Everybody get out your change. So everybody's, you know, getting out their change. This is not a gimmick. This is not a gimmick. We're going to make a gift to Jesus. We're going to make a gift to Jesus. This is not a gimmick. Now, if you're going to make a gift to Jesus, you have to wrap it. So please get out some of that green wrapping paper that you have. And, you know, (laughs) that's how he did it, right? How different is that than Paul just wanting to root you in the love and joy of Jesus Christ? And for your giving not only of your money, but the whole of your life away to be caught up in becoming like the God who gives away his own son. See? That's why John can say, if you see that your brother has need and you close your heart to him, he says this. First John 3, how does the love of God dwell in your heart? Because he just says, God showed his love in that he gave his son. So if you won't give yourself to someone, how, how is the love of that God in, in your heart? I don't get it. You know, so John puts it there. And that's what we have to ask. Where's the, the love of God that happily spends himself lavishly for me in Christ Jesus? How wonderful that call, Paul calls us to joy in this. How wonderful. Well, I'm, I'm going to talk more briefly uh, just because of time. About what we reap. Uh, But this is important because uh, it's so opposed to what commonly we hear of as health and wealth. So we reap two things. Generosity and gratitude. We reap generosity and gratitude. Notice in verse 8. Here's the result. He makes all grace abound to you so that you abound in every good work. And then he quotes the scripture saying, and this is not talking about God, it's talking about the righteous man. He gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. That means his generosity, his benevolence endures forever. And then verse 10, the same thing again. He will increase the harvest of your righteousness. So, In this passage, it's not that, because what health and wealth teaches is that if you give enough, it's going to provide the opportunity. It's kind of a payoff deal. If you be really generous, God's going to give it back to you in spades, and then you can keep that part of it. 
Or you keep working the deal, you keep giving and he keeps giving back to you. And so eventually you might get to have a second house or eventually you could have a yacht or a plane or expensive jewelry. Uh, And if you don't have those things, maybe you haven't given enough. All right. But Paul is saying that when we give cheerfully, God enables us to continue to abound in that generosity. In other words, if you're happy to give, God's going to make you really happy because you're going to keep being able to give. One commentator says, God is saying in effect, give generously now and you will find that God maintains your desire to give and increases your resources for further giving. You really have to want that deal. So it's not going to be, hey, if I give away, then I can be sure I'll have all that back and more. No. If you give yourself away joyfully, he's going to give you more opportunity to give yourself away joyfully and to give yourself away joyfully. You get more and more and more. But you see, if you're not cheerful to give, if you're resentful of giving, under pressure of giving, that's no deal at all. So the reward is that I continue to get to give. That's it. That's the reward. And then, obviously, in eternity, there is the giving the whole kingdom to us. But that's not what Paul talks about here. He's talking about increasing the capacity for your giving. And so in this way, our giving is kind of an entrance into the giving of God. It's, it's getting into the goodness of God, getting in the stream, jumping in the waves. Uh, we, I, I've been with my kids at a stream, and one of our favorite things is to get in the middle of the stream and get under rocks and just let the water pour over us, you know, just sit freezing to death. It's wonderful. You may not be into that, right? (laughs) And I think of that here. I think of getting in the middle of what all of life is about. Don't you understand that the whole meaning of the world, the root of the world, is God in giving relationship within himself eternally. Spending himself lavishly, father to son and son to father, father to spirit. And then for this to be given away and us to be made in the image so that we would find our joy in spending ourselves for one another. But sin has caused us to be bent in on ourselves. But as he says earlier in Second Corinthians that we've already studied, he died so that we would no longer live for ourselves. No longer live for ourselves, but for him. So that we could be set free to walk, to to, to give ourselves away and to give our wealth away. Not reluctantly or under uh, compulsion, but joyfully, even as God does. And so, has coveting overcome your life as it has overcome mine? Now is love reigning in its place? Covetousness, you know, grasping, clutching, ingrown, barren, impoverished, lifeless, draining, depleting, debilitating covetousness. 
or love. Enriching, liberating, expansive, inclusive, plentiful, prolific, profitable, comforting, delightful love. Thanks be to God that he makes us lovers again. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we... We mourn over our selfishness. We mourn, Lord, over not just the lack of joy in giving our wealth, but I mourn, Lord, over the lack of joy in giving my time away, giving my gifts away, giving myself to others. How unlike you am I still Oh, Lord, continue your great work in our hearts. We, we, we are grateful that you say you're working in us to will and to do for your good pleasure. That earlier in this very letter, Paul says that as we, as we behold his glory, we are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. Oh, Lord, that that is encouraging that as weak as we are and as heartless as we are, as unlike you as we have, have become, you are working to transform us into the very image of the giving Christ. The one who, as the writer of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him spent his life. Oh, Lord. May we experience the miracle of happiness in giving ourselves away with our own wives and husbands, children and brothers and sisters and parents and friends and neighbors. Oh, Lord, give us this grace. We rest in you and we thank you that you indeed are saving us. Amen.